0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 61 of Nutanix Weekly. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I've been uh, been gone for a few weeks. I think a lot of us have, and now it's Halloween. We have a lot to cover. Um, I guess before we jump too much into the the, the serious stuff, which we probably need to because we've got a short amount of time today, uh, we were just having the Halloween discussion. Well, first, I was having a discussion around how the previous owner of my house Used a um, what at the time probably seemed like a great idea, and I see a ton of this in home automation with my HVAC unit for upstairs. But now it's so complicated you can't uh, enable you can't enable the latest digital transformation of home HVAC to um, to work with it. So I've either got to start over, which I'm not going to do because it's probably ten thousand uh, dollars, or I'm just going to live with the fact that I can't bring my house in 2023 into my Google Nest modern digital transformation from HVAC world. Jairo, you had a phrase for that. What'd you call it?
1: I called it uh, tech debt. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real threat.
0: So uh, someone over-invested too deeply in tech, now I can't get out of it. Is that what you're calling it?
1: It's, uh, well, or it's, uh, you know, past decisions made, right, that lock you in and limit your options for the future, right? So always, whenever you think about a new technology, you got to think about, but how, is it, how does it interoperate? How do, like, how do I evolve beyond this on the next phase?
0: Well, I think that's going to be really closely tied into what we're going to talk about here in a minute. How about that? Uh, ben way. Rogers is with Jyra, Gyro Cox. That was the voice of gyro Cox, which hopefully you know by now. And, and Ben Rogers, those are our two Nutanix gurus on the call. Ben, how's it going?
2: Good, man. Doing well, Andy. Now, a question I would have for you is how long are you going to have to wait till you get to change that AC unit to technology that will work with your Google Nest? Have you figured out that piece of it?
0: Well, I don't plan to live here. It's, it's, my, it's my big house for when I have four kids, and it's the right thing for what I needed two years ago. Um, I don't plan to be here in one to three years, so I'm going to let the next guy deal with that. Ah, I hear you. I I think there's some um, you know examples there in our real world. I was going to say, you're just beefing up your segue more and more. Like Your, <laughs> your mobility affects the
1: choices you make. That's amazing, yeah. Andy.
0: And if I had some form of a uh, ubiquitous um, hypervisor, I could put in various data centers. I could have gone that I, I wouldn't be locked into the other guy's decision. I could come halfway back, couldn't
1: I? Oh man, if I could virtualize my house, I'd have so much more more stuff done.
0: Well, I think <laughs> I the Facebook guys are actually working on that.
1: Right, you know, roll your roll your house back to a snapshot from before uh, before you you know <laughs> oh, put your to the put your foot to the ceiling.
0: I use this one all the time too. I travel a lot and I go now finally in the last couple of years, there's a, there's a USB plug, you know, a USB 1.0 or whatever, 2.0, think, whatever it is, a uh, plug I could use to charge my paraphernalia at night, maybe multiple. Uh, of course, now everything I have is USB-C. So I'm like, Hey, it finally caught up, but it's already behind. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The blessing and curse of a standard. Yes. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's tough really- to change that
2: standard. Jaira, what you just said about virtualizing your house, I'm sure my wife would love that with me. I just built a bunk bed for my son, and it's about two times the size of what she wanted. And when she walks in the room, I can see the look on her face where she goes, I just wish it was like it was before we started.
1: There you go. There you go, man. Well, I,
0: thin, I think you, you guys thin are right on right that thing. with that virtual. Physical is hard when you make decisions around physical things, but when you can make uh, decisions around software, a.k.a. virtual, all of a sudden, you know, uh, bad decisions can be fixed more easily. Well, I did make one mistake. I
2: had the design in my head and I just described it to her in little bits of pieces. I should have done some kind of simple CAD drawing that let her envision what seven feet, six inches was going to look like and um, I kind of, you know, I gave her like a design, but I don't think she had the concept of the size. And then when it started, you know, I built it downstairs and then brought it upstairs. And when it started coming together, she was like, oh, Lord. Of course, my son's digging and he's like, oh, yeah, a massive playset, blah, blah, blah. And she's
0: just like, you've
2: taken up three quarters of the room with the bunk bed.
0: I'm to, I mean, visiting uh, like a college loft or something. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I it's mean. Awesome. To
1: just beat our analogy just all the way to death, like the client approved the uh, high-level logical design, but the physical design did not pass muster.
0: (laughs) Well, here's another one too. Ben, Ben, was she around when you were putting parts of it together or did she go somewhere? Yeah,
2: but I mean, man, my wife's a good designer and
0: I I don't,
2: not a knock on her, but she just couldn't envision how this thing would fit in the room. And myself, you know, I had done the measurements, but it's another thing when you, start to put it together now the saving grace is it is a loft bed so i'm looking at her like he's really gained the whole room because now the bed's up but it is a uh it is an ominous sight in the room man i mean it's 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 big
0: now i'm gonna keep going with this ben was this totally your design or did you take a design from somewhere else that where she could have uh, could have gotten the best of breed out of somebody else's mind first
2: So what I did was because my wife is so picky about design and colors is I got a an example of what it would look like from a color perspective. Here's what the posts are going to look like. Here's what the rails are going to look like. And she loved that. We didn't really have the conversation about the size. And I had to make it bigger than normal because I'm doing it with a queen size bed. So I built a loft for a queen size bed. And so, uh, you know, it's massive, man. I'll take a picture and send it to y'all when we're done. with the the
0: podcast. So as I'm thinking through this, I'm thinking great big Oracle database that needs to go on-premises, in private cloud, in public cloud, all at the same time. And if you're not careful, you can get it woefully wrong.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, you're diving into where we're going into. What's interesting is is, uh, this is a hot topic for us to talk to customers about right now because this does open up some doors that, you know, a lot of customers think about cloud and what they immediately come to is I got to refactor my application and what we're, you know, what we're able to offer with this NC2 offering is you don't have to refactor the application to take advantage of cloud and where Azure becomes really a good part for us is a lot of people have Azure spend as part of their EL EL licensing or ELA licensing. I'm not up to Microsoft licensing anymore, but they roll some of this cost in there and companies are looking at ways to try to take advantage of that without refactoring their applications.
0: And Ben, you got down to the money conversation, right? So you called it spend. I call it commitment. And depending on which side of the equation you're on, commitment's either really good or really bad or depends on what moment of the commitment you're in. Uh, and so we'll we'll talk through that more. Uh, Harvey Green is, uh, I, I really have referred to him as a solutions architect as Zintegra, but now he's actually running Gov. but he's gonna stay part of this podcast and other podcasts because he's a great technical mind when it comes to Nutanix. Harvey, how's it going?
3: Pretty good. Pretty good. It's a good thing I was already planning on doing that because otherwise you would have committed me on air.
0: (laughs) Well, there's a couple things you got to keep doing in our world because it's good. It's good. good And um, it it helps. I love doing this because we're tying technologies down to business outcomes, which is part of my world and your world, no matter what your title says. Absolutely. We also have a guy named Philip Sellers on. Today is day one for Philip. And Philip is kind of shadowing he's going to be picking up some of Harvey's uh responsibilities when it comes to being uh infrastructure subject matter expert, specifically in this case, all things Nutanix. So Philip will be playing a, a larger role. I think he's still in in mobile world trying to get from the office back to his home. So welcome, Philip, and uh we'll look forward to being you being you being part of this conversation going forward. All right. Well, um, probably may or may not have picked up. Our topic today is uh, in the announcement around NC2, um, which is Nutanix clusters on Azure. And let's jump into the blog. The blog title is um, from October 12th of this month, uh, this year. Uh, Nutanix accelerates hybrid cloud with Microsoft Azure. Jira, what? why do this? Why does this matter um I was thinking as
1: you were talking about it um well and as a sidebar for our listeners I don't know what timestamp we're at in this episode but if you'd add, if you'd bet me a dollar about like could would Andy tolerate as much preamble as we had there <laughs> For the for the podcast that you might be most excited about, right? This goes back to like the history of this podcast. You were like, hey gyro, let's do a podcast. Also by the way, when NC2 on Azure, right? Um you know, and then like <laughs> like it was like it was almost like a punchline like the, the ending of the first five episodes was all like, oh by the way, also gyro when NC2 on Azure.
0: Um so well, when did we do the when when did we do NC2 on AWS? Uh I'm gonna say in the past. Well but it had to be like podcast number 20 or something, we've been waiting a while. It's about Way back there, Yeah, We've been waiting a while.
1: <laughs> right. It wasn't on my bingo card for with this much pent-up demand among <laughs> the hosts of this podcast for us to ramble well, that long at the beginning. So good it, self-control.
0: Fair, um really did a good job setting it up because a lot of those things are going to tie into what we talked yeah. about here. And it was as much Harvey beating you up as it was me, right? <laughs> so the the why it, it I kind of formed a thought while y'all
1: were talking about about you know, Ben mentioned refactoring, right? And moving to the cloud. And the the thing I see along, among a bunch of my customers is those can be different timelines. And treating them like one timeline um, can be problematic, right? So, of course, we want to refactor our apps. Do we have full power to do that? Not always. I, I know a lot of customers that are 90% you know, caught software, right? Purchase software that they deploy and run. Maybe the business units dictate what the the line of business software will be. Uh, IT has to run them, but there's not a lot of uh, empowerment to actually do that refactoring yourself, right? You're waiting on the vendor to do that. But whether we have that power to, to refactor or not, there's a lot of mandates or benefits or, or use cases for getting to public cloud. I want to get on my data center. I want to uh, stop spending money on a DR site. I want to Uh, get more mobility or get more availability than I have in my local data center. Um, I want to move to cloud because I've got business alignment, right? With Microsoft funding or, or other strategic partnerships um, that just don't give a hoot, whether you can or can not refactor your apps or what timeline that might be. So the use case of get to cloud sooner um, with the apps that we have today, but prepare for the apps that we want to run tomorrow really does resonate pretty, pretty quickly.
0: So I'll do a normal Andyism, which is beat up on the idea that it's not cloud, it's clouds. And gyro, when you say get to the appropriate cloud, you really mean the the appropriate cloud of the cloud options as soon as you can, because time is money, efficiencies is time and money. Um, it, it makes sense to get if you're going there. Damn it, get there. Totally. the the matching The
1: matching gyroism is is it is one cloud. But it's your cloud, right? It's like the Acme cloud or whatever company you work for that you need to find a way to have presence in one or more locations, right? Which can be public clouds, can be data centers, can be your on-prem. But you need to empower the business that this is the Acme cloud, right? And it has legs in all these various different availability zones. So we're, we're saying the same thing. I agree with you.
0: I like that because now you're saying the cloud. Don't think of that as from all the options. Think about the clouds or the you know the the overcast or whatever, however you want to say it. You know, first of all, for our listeners, if you don't know where cloud comes from, it's the idea. There's a bunch. There's services that come from somewhere you don't really know what it is specifically. Therefore, IT guys drew it up as a, on the whiteboard as a as a cumulus cloud quite often and said the stuff comes from there. You don't really know know what it is exactly, but it comes from there. Um, so, but I do like your comment that for the consumer of it, it kind of needs to look like a cloud, even though it's made up of clouds. And at the end of the day, it's their cloud story.
1: Right, so they- like, like as an IT leader, like the you're empowering your business, right? Your counterparts in business units to solve problems with Cloudy outcomes. It should be on prem, could be fully public cloud, could be cloud native, could be NC two, uh, can be you know other SaaS services like from data center hosting and so forth. Um, but all, at the end of the day, that all, that
0: all empowers your one
1: company's cloud. So
0: okay. I mean, looking at this, I'm looking. I'm sure this will be a two part episode, Ben. I uh, want you to talk about the number one thing, the application move. But tell me, you were having, you had a comment.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things you said that I think is pointing to this whole conversation that gets lost in the in the muck sometimes with IT is IT is about service delivery. So when you talk about, you know, where the service is coming from, end users don't care about that. And you know, most C-levels at times don't care about that. They want IT to be able to deliver the services and deliver the services on demand at the SLA of the companies. That's where this multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, what I call our Nutanix foundation, that's where really this comes into play. And where some of this also comes into play is where NC2 really hits a home for some businesses is that they don't have to retrain their employees. If they know Prism and they know Nutanix, this is just another leaf off of their their infrastructure, their foundation. And so that's kind of how I try to paint it to customers is that if you know if you if you consume our products as consume our portfolio, whether on-prem or in cloud, you then can get to a service delivery model where it's a, it's your infrastructure behind the services that are being delivered to the company.
0: Yeah. I guess because if you stop and think about it, you're, you're trying to get people out of the on-premises data center, which makes a ton of sense when you look at a lot of different pieces of it, but you, the customer, you don't want to just get stuck somewhere else. So, if you can come up with a way that allows you to take advantage of the best of breed, maybe at the moment, at any point in time, then you're actually winning. If you're just moving it from one place to another and you got a new type of of getting stuck in the mud, then you have you really won. Like I've seen some customers that take
2: their, you know, they're like, I come from healthcare, so the EMR, they might have technical reasons why they they need to leave that EMR on prem or close to a data center uh, inside of the inside of the company's network but they have they might have remote sites that they can move those services off the cloud so that the cloud component is now their edge service that's now collapsing back to an on-prem data center for whatever their crown jewel application is. So we see some companies talking to us in that regard where they go I've got all these sites across the world, I'd rather collapse these sites to an edge service that runs in Azure, AWS, wherever the closest presence is. But I need to safeguard my application and my databases on-prem for performance, compliance, whatever the reason would be. That's where these models really get fit in really well. And, again, you don't have to retrain your staff, man. They know the Prism, Prism Pro, uh, all of those elements of our portfolio, they can extend this out to AWS, Azure, and it's, it's the same environment.
0: So I want to go into this um, the survey that was done by these 1,700 IT decision makers and these three bullets, the three points they pull out. But uh, I don't know if this is in the blog or not. Um, Harvey, what is, what technically is NC2 on Azure?
3: Uh, I, will, I will give you the, the I guess, the, the Harvey definition here. Um, It it is all of the wonderful, great things about Nutanix that you've been experiencing on-prem and the ability to have that for for this use case in Azure. Um, Bare bare metal blades in Azure that they're providing, they're servicing, they're hosting that don't live in your data center, so you no longer are worried about that hardware, uh, but you still have all of the wonderful, nice things and wonderful management of Nutanix uh, that you are now using on hardware that is not hosted by you or are covered by you that you have no responsibility over, uh, but you still have the ability to manage it as as you have been managing your on-prem stuff.
0: So Arby, how is this any different than Zintegra for the past year and a half? hosting native Nutanix on our hardware in our data center? Uh, they, wait, let me say our two data centers. So that <laughs> two is going to be the key. So
3: it it's not different because, again, that that is a way that the customer isn't providing the support and the touch and the feel of all of that hardware. We're providing it for them. Um, it, it is just another place that you can do it.
0: Well, I set you up a little bit. I, I was highlighting the number two. We actually have three if you take the fact that we have a customer where we've rolled it out within the same colo as theirs. But that's three. What you get out of you know, doing this within AWS or Azure is the, the, the public cloud scale of hardware right. and then the smartness of the Nutanix software to make it work here, there and everywhere as needed without being unique and different.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more choice again, just more choice as a customer uh, as to where you want to put your data, where you want your data to live and who you want to take care of that hardware.
0: So let me go back to Ben for number one here, the first um, graph that's there, and then Jira for the next two. And I go back to Ben because he's been talking about application refactoring and getting stuff in the cloud without having to totally rewrite it for at least six, if not 12 months with me. Ben, number one, it says uh, 91% of uh, the people surveyed uh, moved one or more applications to a new IT environment over the past 12 months. Uh, What does that mean for us?
2: Well, I would, I would question whether that's refactoring or whether they moved off to a SaaS-based application so that their application get refactored from, you know, traditional on-prem to now where that company is offering uh, SaaS-based. I see a lot of companies trying to get to a refactoring mode, but really what I see is the limitation is talent. Talent and, you know, you and I have discussed this privately, man. There's, there's not a lot of consulting firms that are out there that are, you know, looking at this and helping customers refactor their application. so companies are having to look at doing it internally. And man, talent is 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 at a premium right now.
0: <laughs> and it's expensive. Like well talent, that's part of the big part of the expense, but the time and expense associated with that to truly move it to like a SaaS app running on Kubernetes on the back end. Man, I, well, and, and let's just also take, you're doing this while you're also keeping the bus
2: running. So some right. some companies are looking, you know, I'm going to have to pull a set of people out of the daily operation and put them on this refactoring thing. And then this, you know, all the, I, Gyra, I think said it best, man, the time it takes to refactor and the time that it could take to get out to a cloud service like NC2 is two totally different time factors. You know, mm-hmm. the other thing we do see with this service, is that some companies go we want to refactor but we need to have some kind of cloud presence so we're not constantly having to go back on Prem to get the pieces that we need and so they'll stand up these clusters and then they'll you know re-architect or uh, uh you know basically re-analyze and reformat how they're doing things once they get the nc2 clusters up
0: yeah i mean think about a world where they build that three-legged stool, but one leg's a little sh- shorter or longer latency than the other and uh, you might as you know what what how valuable is that really and it depends on how much you're willing to deal with the the yeah. shortcoming hey Jyra, this uh says 64 percent of the people survey expect to be operating in a multi-cloud environment within one to three years um help us understand what that means and and do you think that means also their private or semi-private co-load data center as one of those multi-options uh
1: i think To the last part, yeah, I think it's extremely likely, very much so. The the multi-cloud operating environment, right, within one to three years, I I agree with this uh, strongly, right? I I coach my customers. It really is an eventuality, right? As much as you can try to be um, uh, deterministic and set expectations on the front end of, like, we're going to tightly align to cloud A or cloud B or cloud C, and that's our strategy. Um, And curveballs just happen in this world, right? And the amount of things like companies, healthy companies grow by acquisition, right? For the for a large part, acquisitions get messy real fast, right? Like we don't have to think very long about our customer lists to think of customers that still have stuff that's on platform X and Y and Z that someone had great intentions to move one day, um, but it just hasn't happened yet. So, so at the very least acquisitions, D&I, um, I'm sorry, M- M&A activity are going to threes and curve balls, right? So how do we help simplify multi-cloud? Because it's probably going to happen to you sooner or later um, to say these workloads, uh, they're coming to us from Azure. These are coming to us from AWS. These are coming from, you know, an on-prem environment. Help make this part of our, our one unified cloud that, that runs the business experience. Because to Ben's point, like talent is such a constraint, right? Like, are you really going to be able to double or triple your skill sets um, on your team? To avoid what's what's the alternative, right? If you don't double or triple skill sets uh, for everyone, now you're back to having silos and specialists, and now I've slowed down velocity of change that I can manage in the organization.
0: How often are you guys? Because I know you're meeting with a lot of people. How often do you see customers that have multi-public cloud initiatives, either intentionally or unintentionally?
1: Both, right? I mean, for some people, it it just happens, right? Some business unit goes off and tries something, and and it kind of sticks. Um, you know, the, the big umbrella for all this is data has gravity, right? Moving stuff around, it does happen a lot. Back to the first point, you know, ninety-one percent of people have moved an application between environments in the last twelve months. So that ability to say, "I want this app to move, to move from X to Y, from 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 location A to location B," people feel more empowered to to mandate that more and more. But data has gravity. Data has connectivity, right? Um, latency is a thing in the real world, and so um, maybe let's say. Worst case scenario, maybe it's a shadow IT thing. We found these VMs in these in this environment. Now they're under our governance, but they're in this location. Maybe best case scenario could be a more strategic, like we want to use a best of breed service. This cloud's great at AI ML. Therefore, go put this workload workload over there. But still, I have to federate it, right? It's going to be one part of my one Acme cloud.
0: Right. Hey, Jairo, I'm going to stay with you because I know you talked to a lot of enterprise customers. That last one, 83% agree that a hybrid multi-cloud is ideal. Um I want to ask that question as it relates to a public cloud plus their semi-private or private cloud first, whether you believe that number is accurate, and then we'll expand that in a minute.
1: The I would agree, right, that 100% that um, that the stat around uh, agreeing that hybrid multi-cloud is ideal is, is accurate, and I think that's even going to grow, right, because that's kind of the message is that... Um, is keeping your options open right we've done it since the history of Nutanix uh of supporting customer choice of like where do you want to run these workloads and how how do you plan to move them when you need to right what are your what kind of choices can you make today that don't lock out choices tomorrow like buying the wrong HVAC units that now I can't use my fancy thermostats right like put these vms in, in a certain cloud today but when Call it any circumstance changes, right? Whether it's economic, financial, um, strategic, strategic alliances, um, even like bordering on like political or PR reasons, right? Like we don't want to use this cloud anymore for perception X, right? Um, I was with, I was with a buddy a couple weeks ago who who supports our Fed customers, right. And he mentioned about a certain cloud that like didn't quote didn't support warfighters, right? It was like their stance of like we don't want to do that anymore. So if you were in that industry and using that cloud, you'd want to move your workloads. Well, how would you move a cloud native VM workload if you had gone all in? Yeah. And NC2 has the answer for that: is to say NC2 is the same Nutanix that you run on prem or in any cloud that we support today. And of course, this podcast is happy to say that it's it, that includes Azure today. Workload mobility, when there's a
0: need for it, is invaluable. Yeah. I mean, to the point of some type of even live migration without downtime at all would be a future state potentially.
1: Potentially, yeah. I mean, latency is still a thing. Laws of physics still apply. Um, And depending on your source and target, of course, I'm going to go to the engineering. It depends answer. If you're ever crossing hypervisors, right? Changing from hypervisor, you know, like going from vSphere to AHV, that's not a a no downtime approach, right? You can't change hypervisors with a no downtime live migration.
0: So I think you were touching on this, but let me change the the statement slash question. Uh, So 1,700 IT decision makers agree that multi- Public cloud, public cloud, multi-cloud. Public cloud, a multi-cloud is ideal. For example, you've got GCP and Azure. You've got Azure and AWS. You've got GCP, Azure, and AWS, and you're co-mingling workloads throughout those three. Do you think that number's that high?
1: <coughs> I, I I have very few customers that are in all three major public clouds. Usually it's Usually it's on-prem in one cloud or on-prem with at most kind of two clouds looking for integration.
0: I bring that up because i have kind of from, you know, guys that doesn't have to implement this stuff every day or man, maintain it or maintain relationships with two public cloud vendors at the same time. The idea that you could put some workloads in one and one some in the other, and if somebody starts to treat you badly or change their political views or raise the rates, you can just start ramping up the other one. And it's all because you decided, you know, not necessarily that you were in different uh, uh, resource zones within one public cloud. You were literally in two public clouds wow. And one going down didn't kill you, and and one changing their you know, political mindset didn't impact you either. You were ready to, you know, turn it up on the other side.
1: One hundred percent. I mean, think about how many customers we have today that we all call on that talk about implementing a multi-vendor strategy for the purposes of keeping everybody honest, keeping pricing healthy, um, keeping you know the the sword sharp from a, a talent and staffing perspective, right? Keeping their options open. Um, you know, NC two brings that ability to implement a multi vendor strategy with simplicity, right? with sanity to the whole process to public clouds, right? There's no there's no native Azure way to deploy like an AWS VM or an AWS way to deploy an Azure VM. That there's a pretty big moat there, right? But yeah. that overall federa- federation fe- uh, federating, there we go, layer is what is what brings that sanity.
0: And and I want to move away from this, but I just can't help but keep asking the questions. Do you think it's 83% think a multi um multi public cloud is the way they're going to go and be able to handle those scenarios and more? Um, I mean, we're all we
1: all we all work for a company here. Uh, do any of us host email in any cloud other than Azure?
0: Uh, well, we just did a joint venture with the company that does Zimbra, so we. Mm, but no, I mean, email is that one thing. It's it's going to be in Azure. Period. Right, um, we all use Salesforce. So I guess what you're saying, if, if you choose to do AWS for one application and you've got your email in Azure because it's a SaaS-based solution, not an yeah. IaaS solution, you're you're technically multi-cloud. Well, my second question is, we all
1: use Salesforce on this call. That doesn't run in Azure.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying, you won't have a choice. It's going to happen and it's going to be application-driven in many cases. I guess I'm really focusing on it. It's IaaS. not your fault, but
1: it is your problem for a lot of, of decision makers. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm just looking at it from an IaaS perspective. Do you think, like, if we ask that question differently, do you think um, from an IaaS perspective, your average or 83% of people surveyed would say, yeah, we're going to have two public clouds, or are they really saying I'm going to have my data center or my partner data center, and I'm well, going to have a public cloud, and that's hybrid?
1: Well, so remember, that—that that is the definition, right, that, that applies here, right? Like on-prem plus public cloud that operates as one seamless customer cloud equals hybrid okay. multi-cloud, right? So so i think that's that's partly one boat anchor if, if that's the right analogy right is like you've got huge data on prem probably that may, might not be a good citizen for a cloud migration right if you have the you know right. this talks to the mainframe mainframe lives on prem or lives in a colo um but next gen stuff wants to run in public cloud make this all fit and make it my cloud well that's that's your hybrid multi cloud yeah.
0: and the whole point in this offering from um, you know Nutanix around nc2 on Azure and AWS pre-release it also as well as you know my data center their data center means that it, it's all doable when the time comes because it's software driven not not locked into physical hardware forever Ben did bring up that commitment thing and I don't know if we'll get back to that at some point in this but the uh, the commitment is you know might as well be locked into the hardware if you're if you've made that commitment you probably won't do it again I don't think but that's how they the public cloud guys are trying to <clears throat> drive your decisions around all I my mean, dollar.
1: I mean, it depends. I mean, everybody on the call has a mortgage. Everybody here is also used an Airbnb, right? Length of stay affects the choices you make. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I've, I've got a house I'm in now, what, five years? I've had three mortgages. somebody I mean, makes it attractive enough, I'll talk to them about it. So, yeah, right. You know, when, when the right person
1: knocks and offers the right number, right, keeping your options open and having that agility, that mobility is uh you know useful, yeah. useful.
0: man i guess you're like saying it. from a Nutanix perspective i just should never unpack i should leave it in those virtual containers and then be ready to go uh
1: how about it's more like we can do the move for you yeah. <laughs> right you can unpack right but that doesn't make it harder to move
0: oh, right. okay so so i got the new slogan for Nutanix: we'll move your shit
1: All yeah right. there you go i'll call marketing now
0: uh
2: <laughs> you know, yeah so I we'll think- move your shit when ready go ahead I hate hate to bring dollars and cents into this, but, you know, sometimes it's a matter like we're we're talking to a company right now that they don't want to do the capital expenditure to have any more on-prem equipment. They want to move this to an optex model and spread the cost out over time and not have to come out with the capital. They also want to get better density. So, you know, some of our customers, Jira, I'm almost positive you heard this, is, why would I want to use Nutanix in Azure? Why wouldn't I just go natively in Azure? And one of the things that we can do is we can get more density on our hardware because we're controlling that hardware. In a native Azure environment, you might be a tenant on a host that other tenants are running on. In our NC2 clusters, you know that that hardware is dedicated to your function and we can also get better density on our hardware because of our software-driven platform. So a lot of times it might come to I've got to fork out a bunch of cash, or I can go to an OpEx model and still control my destiny and get the density I need out of the hardware in a public cloud environment. And so we see a lot of customers that are starting to look at those possibilities. Of you know, I have the hardware, I control the environment. It's an it's an as I environment in cloud, but I still retain some of the ownership of that 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 infrastructure.
1: I mean, I was on a call before this one with a, a teammate. Who showed me some financial models he'd worked up for his customer with only 300 VMs? So not a ginormous environment, right? On the large side, but not. We've all seen. We've all seen bigger. We've all seen smaller, uh, but pretty average. With only 300 VMs, an NC2 proposal was saving them 50% per year, every single year, right? Like you could pay double and have native VMs, or you could pay half as much and run those VMs on Nutanix on bare metal in public cloud so to your point ben spot on like there's there's that break-even point that you hit because you know of course it's that's the name of the game right when you're a cloud provider you're charging for every vm from vm1 to vm 1001 there's no freebies right whereas you pay for the nodes you control your density and by the way you get more performance anyway right because cloud is pay for provisioning pay again for performance right oh you want that storage tier oh you want what generation of uh of intel hoster on that vm right Swipe your card again, um, whereas natively here, right, no one's questioning the performance of Nutanix, right? We all have customers that have blindingly fast clusters that run their workloads. That same tech comes to bare metal loads in public cloud, and now it runs your cloud VMs as well.
3: Yeah, I think that I think that hits on another important point too. Um, that that's another big advantage is when you're in public cloud, just using virtual machine instances there, you use the sizes that they've already picked and prescribed for you. Uh, and if you decide you want to go up to something different, then to, to Jaira's point, swipe your credit card again. <laughs> and you can do that. That's great. Um, but with NC2, you're able to just resize your BM the same as you would uh, on-prem and then continue moving on and, and not end up paying more to do that or be stuck doing it with, Pre-planned or pre-prescribed virtual machine instance sizes.
1: Yeah, I mean, we can all think of customers, right? That we've advised in the past. Hey, this VM is over provisioned, right? Doesn't need this much memory, this much CPU. Uh, you could you could shrink that down, and they kind of look at you and go, "Yeah, I know that, but if I try to <laughs> make that smaller, someone else yells at me, uh, right? right? Like that's a that's a political decision, not a technical decision. Right? Uh, well, now imagine you're paying per gig, paying per vCPU every month. Uh, when does that get fun, <laughs> right? Yeah, so right. It, it it makes sense to optimize for well, like I want to run these VMs. If I can't really shrink them, shrink them down, right? Whether it's political or where the vendor dictates the VM has to be this size, efficiency matters, right? You get way more efficiency uh, being in control of those VMs like you are now, but on a platform of your choice, like Absolutely. bare metal in a public cloud provider. Absolutely.
0: So so guys, this is going to be two or three parts to cover this whole, because we're going to have so many types of conversations. We have, um, so Phillip's on with us. Philip Sellers, again, first day at Zintegra, but I want to bring him into the conversation because uh, a week ago last friday maybe he might have left sooner than that but uh basically a week ago he ran an infrastructure team for a customer here in the charlotte area Philip, this conversation we've been having um does it as a customer which you were um you know three days ago um does this make sense is our or is, is this logic real or are this made up numbers i
4: don't know about these particular numbers but i will say the logic sound um you know one of the things that i haven't heard kind of discussed so far is uh, best in-breed services you know each one of these cloud providers is also doing their own research into things like ml and AI and other differentiated services so not all clouds are created equal you're going to find some services you may want to consume uh, out of one and and you know a competing service out of another well and then you need your data next to it to, to make that useful so how do you get your data there well, NC2 gives you a, a really viable way of either replicating your data uh, into that cloud of your choice to consume it with the service of your choice. Um, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what Jared is saying. I mean, you, you have uh, unlocked, you know, a, a multitude of choices here for you, you, your business to choose whatever they need to, to get the job done. Uh, and so I think that's that's the value that it ultimately brings to the table. Um, you know, we were a merger and acquisition heavy company. So we had a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So uh, I, I will second that comment that was made earlier. Uh, that certainly grows your multi-cloud footprint. Um, you know, certainly had a lot of different SaaS platforms. Um, and at the end of the day, as a customer, I don't care you know, who's on the back end for Salesforce, unless there's a global, you know, outage affecting Salesforce and it's down for me. And then, you know, I may actually care who their service provider was, but it's about the outcomes at the end of the day. You know, we we want an email provider because none of us really want to, to run email. Um, we want, you know, whatever service or software is being provisioned uh, for us. And we just want it available at the end of the day. Um, you know, when, when it comes to SaaS, infrastructure certainly changes that that conversation, I think, um, a, a gr- to a greater degree. But um, I love that Jared called out the whole COTS software because so much of the world is still uh, on traditional client server software and they don't have a choice. Um, and their vendors aren't rushing out to create a SaaS platform to switch them to. Um, and that's still, I think, I would love to see that metric. I'd love to know how many customers' software portfolio is, you know, what percentage of COT software. I think that has a lot to do with, with this sort of solution and, and why it's more viable for customers.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of my leading questions usually for, for meeting a new customer is like asking that percentage because it helps contextualize like, so what kind of autonomy do you really have? What options are really open to you? Um, only correction, Phil, welcome to the show, is Andy's interested in running email servers, right? He said Zimbra. He's waving that flag. <laughs> so I, I got a guy. <laughs> yeah,
4: I, I think we all got a guy. That That makes perfect sense.
1: <laughs> I've
0: been that guy. I like doing this more. <laughs> yeah, me too. But I got a guy. I got a, I got a guy with a team of guys that actually like doing that stuff. So it, mm-hmm. it brings into our options. Hey, guys, we're out of time. Uh, it's Halloween. Ben's got a bunch of little kids. He's got to go decorate. Wait, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say <laughs> Andy. don't like the way the that one sounds,
2: <laughs> These are my grandkids and my, my kids. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be face painting. <laughs>
1: I mean, Andy, congrats on the Halloween mask. That is really scary. Good good choice. Uh, Nice.
2: I do want to step on something that Phil said, though, that, you know, one of the things when you talk about being able to, you know, uh, interact with native cloud services, we do have some customers that would like to end up in like a containerization environment that, again, they move this stuff into NC2, and then they start to refactor it for Whether that be, now, we would love for them to go on our containerization uh, technology and keep it all within our clusters. But we do have some customers that are looking at us going, once I get out to these clouds, how can I interact with the native services? And that is one part of this service that I assume we'll
3: discuss in our next meeting, guys. I was going to say, you might have to make a bookmark of that. And then when we start in the next one, I'm going to ask you for that bookmark because I'm not going to remember. I might remember (laughs) to ask you about a bookmark. Let's see what happens.
1: (laughs) Same bat time, same bat channel.
3: That's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks okay, guys, for I... jumping on with us. And uh, we will see you. But, oh, my
0: gosh. I, I tell you.
3: <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs>
0: Sorry, guys. I just couldn't help but do it. This has been my Halloween costume for the last two weekends. I've been Kermit the Frog. My wife has been Piggy. We had to go with something we could go as together. Yeah. Um, you know, I could actually wear this tonight and probably scare the heck out of a lot of little kids that apparently Kermit the Frog has turned into kind of an intimidating figure.
1: If you're uh, one of our beloved audio-only listeners, uh, <laughs> pull over safely and uh, check out the video recording of this one.
4: We,
3: we have a 6 Kermit <laughs> <of> the Frog. <laughs>
2: oh, that's classic, man. Love we it. should
0: have done that. We should have dressed up. Oh, well, I'm just not that creative. Next year. We're going to dress up. <laughs> like all right. Right. up like sure. <laughs> oh, all right, guys. Man. Well, thank you. Next Next not on
4: Halloween. Oh.
0: <laughs> oh, we can move it. We can move it. <laughs> Somebody remind me I said this. All right, guys. Well, thank you, and we'll do it again. I assume it's going to be two or three of these episodes to get through this topic. It's a big topic, and Jaira uh, finally got it done. He's up at night writing the code. It took you long, long
1: enough. I'm not going to apologize. You're welcome. <laughs>
0: All right, guys. We'll see you next week. See ya.
3: Oh, that was classic. Uh.